Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So happy you're tuning in. You're really going to love this conversation today. My guest today is Nancy Keene. She's a Harvard Business School professor, and she wrote this fascinating book, which came out a few weeks ago, called Forged in Crisis, The Power of Courageous Leadership in Turbulent Times. And if you're a history buff like I am, you're absolutely going to love this book. And you've heard me say on this show many times before how it's those in-the-mud moments, those adverse situations that truly define you and, and how you have that choice and what you do in those turbulent times actually forges your character and the obstacle becomes the way and defines you as a leader. Those are literally make or break moments. And she wrote this book. It took her about 10 years, Nancy, to write it. And it comes out of the genesis out of her own kind of trials and tribulations, death of her father, a, a really bad divorce, which led to financial hardship. And um, she does a portrait, in-depth portrait of five extraordinary figures, Ernest Shackleton, Antarctic Explorer, which is a great story. I've been familiar with that for a long time. Uh, 16th President Abraham Lincoln, escaped slave and abolitionist Frederick Douglass, Nazi-resisting clergyman Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and environmental activist Rachel Carson. And she looks at all five of those figures and um, figures out what they have in common, why were their stories so powerful and what does it mean for us as leaders, as individuals? And uh, I think you're just absolutely going to love this conversation because I, this book speaks volumes to me because I think it gives all of us that perspective, that perspective that, you know, if things seem rough. I mean, and all of us are going through trials and tribulations and in the mud moments. And then when you study these historical figures and again, you look at them, they're, they're, Actually, ordinary human beings faced with a extraordinary circumstances, and and what they did changed the course of history. And I think that's the power of studying leadership. And uh, Kane just does uh, just a fascinating job of looking at each each of these individuals, going back to their early years, looking at their private journals or letters, their historical documentation, how they confronted their obstacles, and then we we get to really glean the essential truth that we all know here on Dose of Leadership, that leaders are born, not made, and the power to lead resides in every single one of us. You're absolutely going to love this conversation, and you have to get this book if you're interested in leadership, uh, historical perspective, and what it means to you today in this kind of crisis mode that we're in, this kind of deficit of leadership that we're in. And uh, Nancy is just, just uh, a, a true spirit, authentic, genuine, courageous, and I just was so happy to have her on the show. I really think you're going to enjoy it. This show is today is brought to you by my sponsor, FreshBooks. Again, they've helped make my life a whole lot easier on the freelancer entrepreneurial front, and they've made my accounting woes with their online cloud software solution has, has completely transformed how I do business on a day-to-day, and it's it's been completely redesigned from the ground up, and I'll talk more about FreshBooks and their offer in uh, halfway through the show, but the bottom line is they are offering all of you out there a 30-day unrestricted free trial 
Go check them out. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash dose and enter dose of leadership and how did you hear about a section and you can get started right away experiencing fresh books for yourself. All right, without further ado, here's a great conversation with Nancy Keens. We talk about her brand new book, Fortune Crisis, The Power of Courageous Leadership in Turbulent Times. Well, Nancy, I'm so thrilled to have you on Dose of Leadership. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here, Richard. What a great book. Um, I'm, I got it a week ago, and I'm almost done with it, and I'm a history buff anyway, but my God, what a great piece of work. And you just told me in the pre-recording you're working on it for 13 years. Congratulations on this book, by the way. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a long pregnancy, um, a satisfying one ultimately, but not without its you know twists and turns and challenges because you know it's five people, five stories, five different stages in terms of the you know the context in which these people made themselves into courageous leaders. So it was a lot of disparate, intense research, thinking, getting to know these people, and then ultimately sitting down to write. So yeah, it was a it was a labor of love, but it was not easy. What was the, what was the catalyst? Why why did you decide to go down this path? I mean, thirteen years ago, what, what decided? What was the deciding? Well, factor? you know. It, you know, in a way that 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 you know, things happen in our life that we that we don't plan. It was not a planned uh, enterprise. What happened was that my own life started falling apart. My father dropped dead suddenly. My mother fell apart. A few months later, my husband of fourteen years walked out unexpectedly on the marriage and me, thinking I was the major problem in his life. A messy divorce ensued. I got cancer with no risk factors. I got cancer again. And in the midst of all that, that was all in a relatively short period of time. In the midst of all that, I, 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 was, I, I was not sleeping well, and I, particularly in the first year of those big dominoes falling. And I reached for Lincoln. I, I, I didn't know a lot about Lincoln. I was a, trained as a European historian. And I started reading his, his letters, his speeches. His, you know, his uh, like newspaper columns, and, and and as I read, these were all from his presidency. I thought, Nancy, you think you have problems? I mean, <laughs> this man faced an extraordinary set of crises, personal and public, personal and political, personal and, you know, if you will, you know, polit- uh, professional. And I and I I just got interested in this question of you can you can appreciate your listeners appreciate the personal interest of how do individuals navigate through crisis. How do we make sense of it inside ourselves, because that's important to the navigation? How do we get through it without becoming bitter or smaller or scarred in a way that, that keeps us from being our stronger selves? How do, we, how do we make something, anything good of crises? And that led me into the subject. Yeah, I love that, that kind of um, that, that catalyst, because I think that's what's drawn me to even the, the topic of leadership itself. It's, it's almost... Like you see these um, stories of magnificent, these people accomplishing, you know, impossible things. And right. it's almost like you have to have, we all have these in the mud moments. And what you described to me is like, you've been in the mud many times. And, and, and I'm always amazed at how you and I can experience the same event. Um, you go on and op- go through that door seeing what can I do with this myself? It may sink me forever and I never recover. And so it's like, how do you get out of that mud? And and I'm always fascinated by that that journey. And that's what that's what you've chronicled here. I mean, these people didn't necessarily choose to get in these these circumstances, <laughs> but they found themselves there, and they went through this door, and they decided, okay, I'm going to make something of this. And uh, it was messy. It was it was bloody. It was brutal. Yeah. But but something of significance, historical significance, came out of it. And you can't get there any other way. I don't think. 
I, that's you said very succinctly, very well. Um, you know, you could have written <laughs> could have written that kind of theme song for the book, Richard. Uh, the, you know, and they they do this, and they do it first within themselves, right? It's first to kind of struggle right. with yourself and your emotions, and you're trying to find your muscles of resilience. And then, and then once they, 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 they kind of get down and they're in the mud, that's a perfect expression, you know, fighting, if you will, or grappling with this, then they, you know, kind of find some way of getting a little bit better with themselves, a little bit better. And that then, interestingly, as they navigate, becomes a very important set of lessons, insights, muscles of moral courage, that they, an asset that they can use as they're trying to, you know, move their mission forward. And so the, the book is the story of, from the inside out, that forging in crisis, and to, go, and to get to something you just said, how people make the impossible possible. And I'm arguing, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, it's not a theoretical book, it's a storybook. I'm, these stories suggest the experience of these amazing five people who weren't amazing to be, amazing as they were born, they were amazing because they made themselves amazing, as each of us can make ourselves amazing, how they made, right, made the impossible possible, step by messy step, as you say. You know, two quotes came to mind as I was going through this book, and and they're kind of a juxtaposition of each other, but but uh, but Thomas Carlyle said that history is, is only the biography of great men, and then Admiral Halsey said, you know, there are no great men, only great challenges that ordinary men are forced by circumstances to meet. And and those two quotes kind of, to me, sum up the theme of the book because, and I think that's the, really the calling for all of us is like, look, you know, these people weren't born into it. It's not like, you know, someone took a magic wand and and said, or they even knew I'm going to be a great leader someday. They were ordinary people when you think about it. And, the, and they found themselves in the extraordinary circumstances. And all of us can find ourselves in that situation. Yeah. What are your that, that, that's, that's the point, right? And I didn't know that was the point, as I said, about, you know, kind of, I mean, historians work inductively, right? We don't start off with a grand theory. We right. navigate point to point. And, and that's what I discovered in that, in that, you know, navigation or pulling the threads together of these stories, that they, they all start out, you know, in, 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 four of them start out in remarkably, if you will, you know, encumbered circumstances. I mean, they don't come from anything. Lincoln and Douglas and Carson are all from these very, very extraordinarily humble beginnings. Douglas is a slave. Um, Shackleton is, you know, the son of a middle-class Irish doctor, and he doesn't have any interest in being a doctor. And so all these people start out looking a lot more like you and like I than they do like, you know, Superman or Superwoman. Mm -hmm. And none of them get to be extraordinary by leaving buildings in a single bound, but, but they... But they start there, and then again, they, they, they powered by a lot of narcissism. That's another interesting thing about this. Yeah. They start off, if you will, like, "Hey, Carson, I want to be a best-selling author. Hey, Lincoln, I want to hold national political office. Douglas, hey, I want to abolish slavery, but I sure as hell want to spend a lot of time networking with high-power individuals while I do that." They all start off fueled by the kind of gas that drives lots of us, and then, interestingly. As they're, you know, falling to their knees and getting up again and learning about themselves and stumbling into their, into some great purpose, some really worthy purpose, they realize, I, maybe I, maybe this mission is actually not for myself, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, or not for myself, Abraham Lincoln. Maybe it's for other people and it's for the greater good of my fellow man, men and women. And that, that interesting transition from the gas tank primarily of I, 
to the gas tank of serving others is a really interesting aspect of, of these stories, and it powers them. It becomes an even greater source of fuel than their own earlier, you know, me-oriented goals. So that's in all those ways. I mean, again, I think your quotes are spot on. Um, this this book is 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 the is the is the story are, are stories built on those on those quotes and the and these ideas or these these aspects. Yeah, and I think of why it's timely too. I mean, at least for me, what resonates is in a large measure why I've done the show. And I think even when I look at the beginning, it's like, well, I love talking about leadership, but I just everywhere around me, I see mediocrity and I see this kind of allegiance towards these um, larger than life characters. And I've contended that the real leadership doesn't really happen from. Um, I mean, we, we gravitate towards the narcissist, I think, because we don't see ourselves as leaders. But the real leadership I like are, you know, again, kind of the, the stories that you find the um, well, just like you describe everybody here. They have this large intensity of will, but at some point they get knocked to their knees and they have this humble, right. teachable spirit. And that combination of that intensity of will with that humility produces real significant leadership. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, all, all, anyone that's lived long enough to have gone through, you know, a series of storms or even one big storm and, and decided I'm going to get something good out of this as opposed to this is now going to be the flag in which I, you know, walk under, which is I've been hurt, I've been, I unfairly have suffered adversity, et cetera. I've been defined by the crisis. Anyone who decides not to do that encounters the humility, encounters the, the purpose, and, and, and that's a very powerful combination. We, want, we talk yeah. about power a lot in our society, and we, we are attracted, I think, seduced, if you will, by, as you were just saying, by a kind of leadership bling, right, by fame and by charisma and by hard-charging public speaking and quick-to-wealth, you know, people with, that have made their wealth quickly. And none of that is, is, is a really good templates or criteria or guidepost to the kind of leadership that we all know when we see it, right? Real right. courageous leadership or, you know, as David Foster Wallace says in this amazing definition I used at the beginning of the book, um, real leaders are individuals who help us overcome the limitations of our own laziness and weaknesses weaknesses and selfishness and fears and get us to do harder, better things than we can get ourselves to do on our own. Those those people, those are the people we need. Those are the people we aspire to be. Those are the people we want to teach our kids and be role models for our children. Those people, you know, are, are just what you said. They are made by a combination of humility, you know, a, a mighty purpose, a sense that the world needs them and their followers to pursue that purpose rather than by me too, notice me, here I am on the red carpet, how many selfies can I tweet out today? <laughs> right. Well, it, it seems like if if we could somehow just get back to the more – you know, the Stoics had it right. I mean, the obstacle becomes the way, right? I mean, the obstacle that's, is the that's way. That's so well said, right? The yeah. obstacle becomes the way. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I think that's what's lacking in, I mean, my my oldest daughter's 20 and, and we, she was driving me to the airport the other day and she was kind of lamenting. She's, you know, she's kind of drifting. She's kind of lost and school's not going like she thought. And, you know, just like, when we're all 20, what are we going to be when we grow up? And she made this comment right. of, of, of this is, um, this generation has it so tough. It's so difficult. And I was like, wait a sec, what? <laughs> this is like the best time to be alive on the planet. But when I was talking 
uh, started thinking about it that maybe it's just because of those perceptions that we see of, the, of this kind of vapid attraction to everything you mentioned there, this, this kind of cotton candy um, world we live in and the media that we consume and everything around us. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's why I'm attracted to history. And I don't even know what my point really is, except that I just wish that people could grasp you know, the, the tenets of what you're talking about in this book is getting back to the, the kind of the, the meat of what makes life important because we're going to be faced with something. It's, something is going to knock you on your knees multiple times throughout your life. Absolutely. So, That's right. So embrace it and, and see, see where you come out on the other side, I guess. I don't know. What are your thoughts? That- that's right, and that's what these people did, and I hope. I mean, I've been the interesting, one of the interesting things about this book is, you know, I said it took 13 years to, to, to come to life or to come into the world, and all that time I'm teaching at the Harvard Business School and I'm coaching business leaders, um, particularly from the creative industries like advertising right. and fashion, although I've done a lot of work with health. I've, I've floated a lot of this material with healthcare leaders um, of different stripes and different institutions, independent docs that run independent practices, hospital CEOs, et cetera. And because I do a lot of work on change leadership in healthcare, and um, as I'm doing this, I'm, I'm sending out drafts to you know, and having people in my coaching sessions in my MBA classes with my Kennedy School students read them, and I'm watching how the story, the draft of these people, becomes a way for people to appreciate that. So my my fondest wish, Richard, for this book. Someone asked me yesterday. David Gergen was doing a, a a fireside chat with me about the book at the Kennedy School, and. He said, you know, who did you write the book for? And I said, well, I'd like to say I wrote it for Kennedy School students because I'm sitting in front of a hundred of them at that moment. And I said, but I really, to be truthful, I wrote the book. My fondest wish would be that a lot of teenagers would read this book. Yeah. 16, 15, 14 year olds, 15 year olds, 16 year olds, 17 year olds, 18 year olds, perhaps your daughter, right? Young people who are on the cusp. Right, buffeted by a law, by by the confusions and and temptations and uh, fears and anxieties of teenage life, of adolescence, as well as by the as well as by the the, the prospect of their futures, and and in, in a world in which, because of social media, there and, and because of the, the way the economy and society has changed, there's so much pressure to achieve on on young people from all over the world, and and I, the reason I want them to read the book is because. This is a story of people that that again started out like they and and yet you know got got buffeted got got you know got knocked down got and, and got up and then said uh, wait a minute there's a moment on the stage here with a purpose that is is for me to you know climb onto that stage and embrace and then i mean they, they their their lives and their work and their sense of self is so, are, you know, are so enriched and full and serious and ultimately satisfying that I want young people to be able to appreciate both the messiness but also the extraordinary satisfaction and anchoring of self that one can find, right, if one makes this, if you will, you know, packed with oneself, I'm going to get better, I'm going to find the diamond in the rough, and then the obstacle becomes the way, and I, and I can accomplish something very extraordinary. Yes. So, so this is a sort of show me, not tell me book. But it's, but those stories are written with that, if you will, as a, as a deep longing from the author's standpoint. Yeah, and I think I think it's also, um, I mean, one thing I get out of it is particularly I didn't know much about Rachel Carlson, I've, and so, and I always talk about introversion and quiet and being shy here, and I think it's important to realize that we all have more influence than we give us than we think. I mean, I don't think we, we, by ourselves, we don't really truly understand how influential we can be. 
And the story of Rachel Carlson is a perfect example of that, right? I mean, she, here's this shy in, introvert, uh, but she, you know, convinced the president. She changes the world. She, changed I mean, she, the she world, rocks right? the world, right? Mm-hmm. That. So, you know, for our listeners that don't know, Carson, she was a biologist, a marine biologist, really, and uh, in a, you know, she was born in 1907, and she went to college, which women didn't do then in in large numbers, and then she became a scientist, which women most surely didn't do, and then she ends up after a, a stint, a, you know, a 15, 17-year uh, uh, stint with the Fish and Wildlife Service, um, creating content and editing all kinds of, of things for the for the FWS. She ends up working alone and writing this extraordinary book that changed the world called Silent Spring about the dangers of pesticides. It's a debate that we're having right now in our society, the dangers of new pe- these new pesticides, widely, widely used and yet largely untested. And that book and the sweeping call in the book to citizen awareness and action, not on behalf of some romantic, you know, poetic, um, ripped from the Hollywood script uh, studios about ideas about nature, but rather just a very graceful, very carefully explained view of the web of life on Earth that sustains all creatures and all and all other life, and that we need to do, we need to respect, and we need to at the same time live on and with and from. And this book just it laid all the pavestones, all the buttresses for the modern environmental movement, from the Clean Air Act to the creation of the EPA, and yet. She was shy. She was retiring. She loved her cats, and she had a family she cared for that was her birth family. But this is not someone who looks like most of the people we call, you know, a needed, one iconic leader. And yet, she was arguably as powerful as any of the people in the book, and more powerful than some, as powerful as many, many presidents of great note in our history. So, you too, shy quiet, retiring young person, older person, you too can be a person of great influence who helps others overcome their weaknesses and selfishness and do harder, better things. Yeah. It's, it's all about standing for something and believing something and then adding value and, and, and finding ways in every transaction to add value to what you That's do. That's right. And, and, and choosing something worthy to stand for, right? right? These are not people who said, well, I stand for, you know, uh, the, the, the red dresses, or I stand for one race and their their pre- predominant right to exist. These are people who stood for something that across the globe we would recognize as worthy. Right, right. Oh, I love it. I mean, and, and I and going back to what you said about if if people would just understand. I mean, I remember the first time that I uh, the story I'm most familiar with is Shackleton. I, I mean, I came across that 25. 30 years ago, and you can't even make this stuff up. I mean, I thought this cannot no, be a true well story. Said. You certainly cannot. I mean, my God. I mean, that that is story in itself is just, and every time I've revisited it a half dozen times and, and having it revisit, revisit again in, in your book, I mean, it's just like my stomach gets a knots thinking about what, I mean, that just, <laughs> you can't think how impossible that could, could seem to be. Uh, you know, know. It is, and I, I know the story very well. I've, the, I had written a case for Harvard Business School about it in the early noughts and gotten so much traction from that case from executives and students. I thought there's something here. I need to dig down even deeper into the story. And then, you know, I, I wrote, rewrote the chapter a number of times, learned a, lot, a great deal more about Shackleton and his experience. But even I, who know the story quite well, still find myself when I teach it, when I reread it, when I go back to some looking for some quote. I, I just can't believe that he did this, that he got for our 
for your listeners that don't know the broad outlines, this was a Antarctic explorer, um, British from Britain who went to, to the, to the South Pole, went to Antarctica in 1914 with the intention of being the first to walk across the continent with a group of men. And he gets very close to the coast, uh, on the South American side and his ship is locked in icebergs and pack ice and drifts for several months and then eventually is crushed by the ice. And so there he is, 27 men himself, three 24-foot rowboats and a bunch of canned goods and nothing, absolutely nothing else except his will to survive and keep his men alive with a, with, with a brand new mission, which is, I've got to get us all home safely. Yeah. And, and he does this. Ultimately, it takes him close to two years, but he does it. And, 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 and the story of how he does it with just you know one huge obstacle coming in his way <laughs> after another is, yeah. is just, it, as you just said, you, it can't be true. It, it, it's not to be believed, and yet... It happened, and this man did it, and he yeah. made an extraordinary difference. And he, in some ways, more than any of the other stories, calls to some deep, deep part of ourselves and the wish for the power of the human spirit, the wish to believe in that, the wish to access that power, the wish to have it applied with the responsibility and the courage that Shackleton applied it over and over again in impossible situations in the interest of saving his men. All right, we'll get back to this fascinating conversation with Nancy in just a moment. But uh, this show is brought to you by my sponsor, FreshBooks. So happy to be partnered with them. Again, my life, I'm constantly racing around, trying to wrap up projects here and there, prepping for a meeting, tackling a mountain of paperwork. It's the life of an entrepreneur. It's challenging, yes, but uh, my friends at FreshBooks, they believe the rewards are so worth it, and I couldn't agree more. Look, the working world has changed. I've said this time and time again on the show that this is the best time, I think, to be alive on the planet if you want to be an entrepreneur, if you want to be a freelancer, if you want to have a side hustle. And with the growth of the internet, there's never been more opportunities for the self-employed. And so to meet that need, FreshBooks has launched an all-new version of their cloud accounting software, and I couldn't be more thrilled. It's been redesigned from the ground up. It's custom-built exactly the way that I work, and you it's really the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, and most importantly, it helps me get paid that much more quickly. I'm averaging four days quicker on getting paid when I send out my invoices. It's ridiculously easy to use. It's packed full of powerful features. I can create and send professional-looking invoices in less than 30 seconds. I can set up online payments with just a couple of clicks. And like I said, I'm getting paid up to four days faster. I can also see when the client receives their invoice, puts it into all the guessing games. I can see in one complete clean dashboard the invoices I have in draft, the ones that have been sent to the client and been read, and I can see when they've been paid as well. And like I said before, FreshBook is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to all of you out there. To claim it, just go to freshbooks.com slash dose and enter dose of leadership in the how did you hear about a section and get started with your trial with FreshBooks today. All right, back to the fascinating conversation with Nancy Keene and about her book, Forged in Crisis, The Power of Courageous Leadership in Turbulent Times. I think all great leaders at some point, um, a requirement is you have to suspend the belief on how it's going to get done. You just know it's going to get done regardless of what you're feeling, you know, because it, can you just imagine, and you talk about it some in your book about, you know, as he retreats and the things he's writing to himself, I mean, he has to go so far inward into himself, probably in depths he's never been before knowing yeah. that, that he's, he's on the stage. And if he cracks, the whole thing falls apart. And, and, that's exactly right. That, yeah. I mean, that's what's so. That's another really interesting aspect of him, right? He, he goes deeper and deeper. There's one diary entry that he makes. I mean, we we know a lot of those experiences because he kept he kept he kept a careful diary. But he says, 
put footstep of of endurance into stirrup of patience. Yeah. Yeah. And you can just see he's battling with himself because he doesn't know what to do next. There's no relief in sight. And he's got to somehow keep it, as you just said, Richard, together. Because if the leader cracks, right, the whole thing goes to hell. Mm -hmm. I think a poignant moment, too, is when any. The thing about this story that just drives you crazy, like, oh, well, they made it here, and then there's another, you know, and then there's just one more insurmountable <laughs> obstacle. You're like, when is this going to end? And he's. When know. is this going to end? You know, and, and even, I mean, even after he, without giving it all away, but even after he gets close to civilization, he's trying to get a ship to get back to get the rest of his men. I mean, even that then becomes this Odyssean mythical yeah. struggle, right, to get yeah. to his men. It, and one says, and I've said this many times to myself in, in my moments of fear or my wanting to give up on something important. I've said, think about Shackleton, Nancy. Yeah. I've literally thrown my leg over a fresh horse, scared because the horse is very jumpy and it's windy and cold and I'm going to get bucked off. I said, and that's a, that's a silly little example relative to the obstacle Shackleton faced. But I said, Nancy, or when I'm getting scared about going in front of a group of people or a camera, I've said, what would Shackleton do? Yep. Um, or I said this to myself through cancer, right? What would you, and it's real, and, 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 and I, that question is from the place you just evoked, right? Which is, this can't be this hard, and it was, and he triumphed. Yeah. No, I, 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 I've done the exact same thing. Shackleton, one of them, there's been a handful of, of stories. I've, I've done that. It's that perspective. And I think that's the value of, of history in itself and studying and, and having books like yours is like, because it gives you that perspective that like, okay, if he's doing that, if that, if he did that, if he survived that, this is nothing, you know. And I think that perspective is important. But I think that moment, I think back to him is, is when they're they're they left, um, they hit landfall. Was it on Elephant Island? I guess when they made that first land, and they're but they're on yep. the opposite side. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, they said, okay, we're going to go in the boat and try to get. And so there they are in a, a week or how many days it was, and it's just freezing cold. And he decided to stand up. You know, and and just show oh. his men, you know, and didn't have took his gloves off because he gave his gloves. Oh, he just ah. Oh. Well, he gave his gloves to a man who lost his gloves, um, and and he stood up for thirty six hours. Thirty six right, hours in the, in the in the in the in the bow of this, you know, what today we call a rowboat, twenty four foot lifeboat, and men are rowing, and he stood up for thirty six hours as a symbol, right? Because he knew his men were weak, he knew they were giving up, he needed them to keep going till they hit land, till they hit this spit of an island, this spit of land, this island, Elephant Island. And, and and he just stood there as like you know, almost like George Washington crossing the Delaware, right. like we will do this. Look to me, keep your eyes on me. And and he he stays standing, gives away his gloves. One of his hands gets badly frostbitten, but but they they do make it. And years and years later, after the First World War and a whole bunch of other things had had really for all practical purposes eclipsed Shackleton's voyage and his accomplishments in the British public memory, his family, the families of the survivors, kept the story alive. And to a one, they said that what, all, what their relative, the crew member from the Endurance Expedition, they all said what, what kept them alive was the boss, that was their nickname for Shackleton, the boss's belief that we could do it. The boss's belief that we could do it. The boss's will that he would save us and we could count on that. And so the, the reason I repeat that is because it... it it gives us a sense of the power of a leader, right, to motivate people, mm-hmm. to, again, help them dig down deep into their strongest parts, and to ultimately, with that power, with that capability, to do something that seems impossible. Yeah. 
I know Abraham Lincoln. Well, I, I'm interested to your thoughts or, or how much you, you know. I haven't really seen anything, but how important to all these five was was faith? I mean, or belief in something other than themselves, not necessarily um, God or Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or whoever, but how important was faith to these five? I think it was very important to all five of them. I mean, I think Shackleton is certainly read the Bible. He was raised, you know, in the Church of England, and he, you know, no question believed in God and and, tr- and trusted in, in in a higher power. And and, and it, in a, a few instances, not a great number, right? You can you can see him invoking that or imploring that power. Lincoln, there's no question that although he right. was not a religious man as a young man, not religious as a young man, he becomes more and more interested in the will of God and what he calls the Almighty. And you see, you hear that in the speeches, right? The Almighty has his own purposes, as he says in the second inaugural. You see, you hear it in, in the Gettysburg Address, but you also hear, you see it much more, um, much more frequently in his private writings and his conversations with others. So I think, you know, when one is thrust into a terrible crisis, it is not unnatural. It is not unlikely that one reaches up and out and says, what else? What other powers are here? My own agency is inadequate to dealing with this. Bonhoeffer, the Nazi resisting clergyman, which is a four story, he, he, he rested a great, he, a lot of his courage and his, and his resilience rested, he believed, in his faith. And Douglas as well. Douglas was not a, a, a very vocal, you know, he, he, nothing like a vocal evangelical, but he had, I think, deep faith. Carson is the only one who, as a scientist, perhaps, you don't, you don't get a sense of her thinking about larger powers and faith in terms of God or a prof, another prophet, another, another div- divinity. But there's no question that she found great faith, particularly, right, as she's trying to finish this amazing book that she knows is going to be a very big and very dangerous book for her, or all kinds of threats against her. And she's also, as our, our, your listeners may not know, but they will when they buy the book, um, she's battling metastasizing cancer. Right. She's trying to, and she knows she's, it's likely going to kill her. So she's out, trying to outrun the clock to finish the book. And there were times when her health was so poor and the book was so slow going that she would come close to giving up. And you can see her pulling, pulling herself together, finding some muscles of endurance and grit in the fact that my faith is that this is a very, very big, good project I'm doing, and that mankind, humankind, really needs access to this. So I need to do this for my fellow people and my, and my fellow, and fellow creatures and the sentient beings that, are, that, are, that depend on human activity. And, and that kind of faith, that's faith in her mission, faith in a, some kind of collective goodness, maybe capital G, really was important to keeping her going. Yeah. Well, I love this book. I, I mean, there's so many things. I, like I said, I'm about three-fourths of the way through it. And and just the takeaways that I've had, I mean, we talk about on the show for five years, you know, it is, I, I'm a firm believer that leadership is for everyone. I mean, it's going to impact all of us. All of us are going to be called multiple times throughout our life, whether we like it or not. So it's in our best interest to learn how to become um, more resilient, how to take care of ourselves, how to how to be prepared for those inevitable unforeseens. And I think that's what's so great about you know, examining almost the extremes of this case. I mean, right. fortunately, hopefully none of us will have to do deal with what these five had to deal with at that, you know, that level, but you never know. And it's personal for everybody, right? I mean, getting on the right. back of a broken horse, it's the same, evokes the same feelings that Shackleton had when he says, how am I going to feed my men? And the same feelings are evoked from that, 
right? So it, they they are, and we, you know, we all face different challenges. And but the point isn't the relative magnitude of the challenges. The point is the challenges and what they mean to us, and exactly. how do we overcome them without becoming brittle and smaller? And mm-hmm. and then how do we find who we're meant to be, uh, if you will, kind of feeding our better self? Uh, that's those are the you know those are the the, the if you will the like guardrails of living a satisfying, worthy life that we can be proud of and that our kids can be proud of and that the people around us can draw strength from. And one of the things that was so interesting about, again, about writing a book in the crucible of the Harvard Business School, right? No one goes to Harvard Business School to learn history. No one <laughs> has any – that's not why people walk through those gates, right? They, they, they're they pragmatists. They're coming for a toolbox of, of, of skills and perspectives. And so I ta- I've been teaching history in that in the history of leadership in that environment for a long time, and that means that you you're 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 really teaching a history that's based on for a, a wonderful quote, and this is not institutionalized. This is how I think of it, though, from Mark Twain, which says sometimes the past doesn't repeat itself. The past doesn't repeat itself precisely, but sometimes it does rhyme. So so this book is about the rhymes of history with our own time and and ps and it's 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 important for particularly for your listenership each of these stories has woven into it they're not bullet points they're not pull boxes right there and they're not a template they're these these insights or lessons right about how to lead and manage and just live better uh that these people learn in the cauldron of crisis or in the classroom of crisis um everything from the higher the stakes and the more emotionally you know you know, wrought up we are about them, the more hot under the collar we are about them, the, the slower we want to move, right? We don't, mm-hmm. we want to act slowly when the stakes are high and when we're very emotional, actually. We don't want to hit send. We don't want to hit tweet. We don't want to hit post. We want to take a minute and take a breath and maybe longer and let it be for a little bit while we figure out what kind of response, if any, we want to make to something that's important and getting us, as I said, hot under the collar or getting us twisted up emotionally to another lesson important for people like of your daughter's age, which is, and all of us, which is there are periods in our life that are gathering years or gathering seasons in which, and they're true for each of these people in the book in which we're, we're not really checking lots of stuff off our like to-do list for our lives. We're not necessarily knocking down the bucket list items. We are, however, learning from the people around us, investing in ourselves, taking a great deal in, as opposed to just scrolling down our phone, taking a great deal in about the world at this moment and and looking and, and keenly observing where the next opening is that we're meant to walk into or walk through or walk toward. And and those are really important periods in our life. They're fertile. They're absorbent. They're absorbent. They're rich with, you know, people we can learn from, including those people that like Shackleton Observing another British commander in the Antarctic, Robert Falcon Scott, said, I don't want to lead like him, right? Because we <laughs> right. learn from, ne- from people we don't want to be like as well. And so the lessons of this book, I think, I, I didn't, I didn't, I wrote, I spent, spent so much time writing this book, I could never have predicted exactly when it was going to be published until the very end. The, I, so I didn't, I didn't stage manage these lessons into relevance. They just turn out yeah. to be highly relevant to our supercharged, volatile, uncertain, complicated moment. Yeah. The book has a tremendous amount of, um, I'm trying, I was trying to, how do I articulate it? It's almost like, to me, it's like eating a nice steak dinner with a great glass of wine. It's that satisfying 
and in and you look, there's so many leadership books out there and, and you're right. It's not the, the bullet points and this and that. I mean, it, and that's what I love about going and highlighting these uh, five people because there's so much, uh, it's timeless, right? I mean, leadership is so easy to understand. Right. No one invented it. They're just, they're principles that just no. exist. Right. And, and you're just such a great, I just, I can't say enough about this book. I mean, particularly in this kind of, again, plastic banana cotton candy world that we're living in, or we're at least, at least we're, <laughs> you know, getting inundated with day in and day out. And I'm guilty of it too. But the more that I pull away from it, the more that I get back to remembering those who came before, the more satisfying it is, uh, particularly in realizing that, that we all have this leadership obligation. We all do, whether you like it or not. And, and the more that we... It's, it's, it's so well said, and we and now more than ever we have this obligation because whether you're, you know, a school principal trying to keep the library open longer, or you're, uh, you know, a, a firefighter, right, trying to, you know, enhance your skills in 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 learning to fight to fight blazes, or you're a chemo nurse, right, trying to work with more limited resources in the infusion lab, or you're a senator, or you're an activist. It doesn't matter who you are. The world, the pro, the, the challenges that we face, and and in some sense, the possibilities, but the challenges have to be dealt with, right, quickly and in, and, and in very effective ways. The challenges of this moment um, and are, are so great and so important, and the stakes are very high. Like it calls all of us. At the same time, ironically, that on the national political stage, at both parts of the political spectrum, we have leaders that are hardly showing up with their best selves, right. hardly comporting themselves with gravitas and honor, and not to mention valor. And 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 in the and, and seeming to be in the public interest, and so all the more reason why, for everyone that aspires to, you know, help others do harder, better things than they can get themselves to do on their own. This is our moment. This yes. is your moment, right? It really is. And you know, Margaret Mead, the anthropologist of the earlier 20th century, once said, "Never doubt the ability of a small group of concerned citizens to change the world. Indeed, nothing else ever has." And that is so true for our moment, and we mm-hmm. we want to all take stock of that. I agree. Well said. I mean, and and, and I think that we we should never underestimate the influence that we have. And right. and you're right. We're faced with some tremendous challenges. And it's like we, I, I said, I, I did a podcast and I even wrote a blog post about this. Like, where have all the warrior leaders gone? Yeah. And, and when I say yeah. warrior leaders, I don't mean you know standing there like Conan the bar- Barbarian with you know a hundred dead people with a battle axe, but that, that stoic, that calm, that composed, confident, courageous right. force that, <clears throat> you know, deep down is struggling, but they decided to step forward or at least, to, you know, stand at the bow of the boat during the ice storm, you know, even though, that's it. even though they're struggling with, with doubts. And I think that's, that's when you, when you read stories like that and these five, you realize that. I can do this too. I, that's the, that's my takeaway for that's what it. it's worth. That's it, and that's that's the takeaway I want lots and lots of folks, particularly young people, but anybody, to say I can do this too. I, an ordinary person, can make themselves capable of extraordinary yep. things because all these people were much more like you and I than they were different, and Absolutely. that's really really important. Great job, Nancy. Love the book, and I'm so honored to know you and 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 have you come on the show? I mean, obviously the book is everywhere. It's forged in crisis is the name of the book. What else, what else can we do to plug to make sure people get in touch with you and find you? 
Well, there's um, there's a good book website that's that's kind of fun. It's got all kinds of videos. It's got a little course on leadership that people can watch, you know, three-minute video by three-minute video. It's got a leadership test on it. You can say, which kind of leader am I? Am I a link? Am I like a Lincoln-style leader or am I a Carson-style leader? Um, all kinds of good stuff. Um, so that's forgedincrisis.com. And then if you want, you, this is certainly the least important of these things, if you want to learn a little bit more about what I've done and what I've written in around this book, including a lot of videos and stuff like that, my website is Nancy Kane, K-O-E-H-N, Nancy with a Y, dot com. And that is a really interesting website. It's, it's a house, and you navigate your way through the house and click on things that look interesting to you to learn more. Nancy, what an honor to have you on the show. I'll have posts. Uh, I have links to all these on the post uh, when this goes live on the website. But my guys, thanks for coming on the show. My goodness, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. All right, we'll talk soon. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. Go to richardryerson.com or doseofleadership.com and fill out the contact page and reach out to me. Let me know where you're at your leadership journey. Also, if you want access to my brand new online leadership course to help become a better leader, go to legacyleaderblueprint.com. Fill out your email and you gain access to a free 12-minute video that will reveal the top secrets of leadership and also show you how you can gain access, exclusive access, to my online leadership course. That's LegacyLeaderBlueprint.com. Hope to see you on the inside. Thanks for tuning into the show. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat mother of three, and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.